0: Welcome adventurers. This is MuseCast14, your podcast for everything roleplay in the world of Eorzea. I'm your co-host, Remix Sakura. And I'm your co-host, Emmy. And today we have a very exciting subject for you. A very violent subject. Yeah, you know, this
1: is probably (laughs) the goriest episode of MuseCast14 we've made yet. (laughs) Today we're talking about different types of roleplay combat systems relating to FF14.
0: There's quite a few of them.
1: I think because we have so many, though, that's why we brought in a couple of special guests in here with us today. So, guest number one, why don't you introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about you. Hey, guys. This is Morgana Brown from Lich leader of Silver Valkyrie. I have
2: been playing for about three years now, but I got into roleplay, I think it was just after um, you guys hosted the, um, the Murder Mystery uh-huh. Um, on Lich, and yeah, th- you guys really inspired me to sort of like get going and Aww. try my hand at all this. <laughs> yeah. So I've been working hard to sort of run lots of events, and I've been involved in quite a few roleplay instances where we've needed combat and had varying
1: effects to that combat. I see, I see. Well, welcome, Morgana. And we also have a second special guest with us. Why don't you introduce yourself as well?
3: Sure. Um, so I am Bayarma, uh, shortly known as Baya. I'm a co-lead for the FC called Hunter's Haven, HSH for short. And uh, I, I've been playing the game for about three years. I have more than uh, 18 years of role-playing experience under my belt. And we use a custom system for, uh, for our FC uh, to avoid the panics of RNG and all of that kind of good stuff. And I'll be detailing all of that uh, in this podcast.
0: You forgot to say which server you're from.
3: Oh, Gilgamesh. Yes, Force.
0: the best server. <laughs> the best server. The best server. I don't know.
1: Lich is pretty great too. I think all of the servers that I'm on is like the best.
2: <laughs> I was going to say, I feel slightly outnumbered here. Even though I do actually have a, a level 15, I think it is, all on on Gilgamesh as well.
3: <laughs> For shame.
1: Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Man, but 18 years of roleplay experience, I feel like a baby. I feel like a baby yeah. now. Like, I've
2: been dipping in and out of various forms of roleplay for quite a while as well. But
1: 18 years dwarfs what I what kind of experience I've got as well. That's so cool, though. And I imagine not only on Final Fantasy 14.
3: Oh, yeah. No, I, I personally have a lot of uh, experience in uh, different types of roleplay. It all started with forum roleplay, you know, back in the younger days of the internet. But I also have a lot of experience when it comes to uh, D and uh, I did that for quite a while. I did a bit of Pathfinder and HD Ascension and all of that kind of good stuff uh, before hopping on uh, fourteen. So
1: very cool. Well, as luck would have it, we will be discussing a little bit about D and D and some of the FF fourteen related combat systems that even have popped up there too. But before that, though, I think we were going to start off this episode with. A number of different combat systems that are varying in complexity here. So what I think we're going to do is we're going to start from the simplest and work our way up from there. I think that sounds
0: Sounds good. Sounds good. Sounds good to me.
1: All right. So uh, system number one that I think we will talk about here today is one that I believe is the most common role play system, at least that I've witnessed within FF14. And it's just a simple random roll. Very, very simple. You just random. Yeah. Points. You just type it and yep. say and you roll a number. And in the case of a lot of events, it's it's often, you know, you roll against another person to see if the attack hits. If the attack hits, oftentimes we see it's extended to like the best two out of three to see like who wins a round, or the first person to a certain number of hits wins. So we see that a lot in like Fight Nights, um, a lot of the more well known events like the Grindstone Runestone On a I've actually used it in
2: like general role playing as well, like when I've just been playing a scenario um, with some of my friends. And um, it is the least realistic, I find, of systems to use in that kind of a regard because the disparity in the numbers can often lead to like you failing things that you normally wouldn't fail or they're being like such a disparity between like somebody who should normally be really strong rolling a low number and somebody that is usually comparatively weak rolling quite a high number you really have to sort of use your own sort of judgments on that as a group of role players in order to kind of like try and work out where where to sort of draw the line and how much to allow that success to sort of affect how you play out the situation.
3: I certainly have to agree with that, uh, because the RNG factor with uh, random is essentially a a success or fail uh, rate. You essentially have a 50-50 chance at almost any given time. You could be rolling really, really high, and then all of a sudden your opponent will always, always be rolling really high as well. And in a way, that can, can in in some respects, it can stifle creativity in, in posts. It can limit it, possibly but if you're a little bit if you have a little bit more of a wild uh you know i suppose setting in in the roleplay then it's it's not so bad but that's why different systems exist and uh, but if you want something simple and a bit more quick uh, for a quick brawl then this is this is why it's the most used system in roleplay in my opinion
2: it is a very good pick up and play system however so if you're not expecting to get into a situation where you're going to need to use like something in order to sort of guide your combat the slash random one can be a very good one to sort of just pick up and go yes we need a system right okay we'll do this we'll just roll against each other and then work it out that way and it does work quite well in that sort of regard i have seen advantage and disadvantage used with this sort of thing as well but i think that that's going to more be talked about later
1: well maybe we can we can always talk about them now and i mean like you're saying, it's it's very, very easy and simple to pick up and go. And by that token, if you have a lot of people who might be new to roleplay, or if you want an event that is very approachable to all sorts of different types of people, the rules are very, very easy to describe.
2: Yeah, it definitely works very well in those sorts of instances. I mean, I've heard you guys talking about a lot of the sort of fight club type events that you guys have seen being run. Uh-huh. And actually, it, that, it works really well in those sorts of instances because you can really sort of bounce off each other in that regard because both of you are fighters and both of you are going to be seeking to win and like some really good creativity can then come out of those sort of comparatively failed roles and things. I've also seen the Slash Random used actually a volleyball tournament. No, wasn't volleyball. Sorry, it was dodgeball. We were playing um, <laughs> on the mist beach uh, last year actually. Um, and that ended up working out really well. Again, like you've mentioned, it was a three strikes and you're out type deal. And yeah, that was actually a really good fun. It was last in, but yeah. I still didn't win.
3: <laughs> At least you had fun, right? At least you had fun.
0: Yeah. <laughs> can I chime can in? Yeah, so it should be noticed that these fights don't just involve people rolling slash random. What happens is when they see who wins and loses, they actually like write a post. You know, write a little bit of dialogue in creative writing style, in RP style, as to what happened. Like the character bounced across the room or like the character fell to his knees or the character slashed or, you know, that's where the creativity comes in.
1: Yeah. And the really interesting part about it is even if you have somebody who isn't all that familiar with writing out all those descriptions, you can have somebody like an announcer fill in those gaps, too so that the people watching are able to do it. Now ideally, you know, in a, in a perfect world, everybody knows what they're doing, everybody's able to do this, but now in a perfect world, of course, everybody's writing up their own descriptions and such, but an announcer type thing can kind of add to the excitement and it's very, very easy to see what's going on. So it's, it's a nice supplement that can help out with the random system, even if the system itself is very simple, you can still make the event exciting. The uh, action and reaction posts
2: that people will do in line with the roles that they get is what makes the combat exciting at that point.
1: Yeah, not so much the system, and it's, in this case, lack of complexity.
0: Though we have seen one example of Slash Random being used on top of a more complicated rule set to make, of course, Blitzball.
1: Why don't we talk about how that event worked out, then? How that system worked?
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's not combat, but the ability for the characters to move, pass, stop a goal, make a goal, is determined by Slash Random. As a rule set on top of that, Just Slash Random is just a tool.
2: Yeah, I was going to say, it is combat in a sense because it's one person versus another. And that combat doesn't necessarily have to be fighting. It can be, as you say, trying to pass a ball. one another to try and work out that for Blitzball. As Remix says, it's very much a tool to be used in order to help you construct the roleplay as opposed to it being a, a battle to the death, if you will.
1: Yeah, you can use these for a lot of different situations, not necessarily only combat. For example, I've used random roll to decide, well, I don't really know whether or not my character would like a food. Why don't I roll for it and see what that determines?
0: I like rolling for drunkenness. Like, if you take a drink, determine how drunk it gets your character.
2: The and- amount of times I've seen that happen at the Stray Sheep. <laughs>
3: <laughs> oh. oh. The amount of times that happens in my character as well. Oh, man.
2: Problem is, is with Morgana, it doesn't take her long to get drunk. <laughs> uh-huh.
3: Do you get a roll I- penalty or something or not?
2: No, I just end up like having one particular like anything that seems reasonably alcoholic and then I will just slowly (laughs) pay her seeming to get more and more drunk the more she the more she's had of the drink there was one time she had something that isn't normally particularly alcoholic she spent the rest of the evening with a blob of cream on her nose and no one told
1: her about (laughs) it
0: Uh, alright so anyway back to the topic at hand
1: yeah so so back to random here and this is This is actually something interesting I just thought of. So Morgana, your character might be a bit of a lightweight, but if you do a pure random system and something fails or something goes through, say you were to roll random and you roll really high, and so your character isn't affected by the drink, and then she drinks again and she rolls high again nothing happens. And all of a sudden, you now have this character who, just because of random number generation, should technically be drunk, but is not drunk. So like handicaps on the character, it may not result in a realistic situation based on how the character is written. You know, if they're a really good fighter, and they go up against somebody, and that somebody is fighting for the first time, and all of a sudden, they just get walloped by this random number system. I mean, that's
0: it. It doesn't really yeah, take that is into the account the
3: downside that. of 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 of, yeah. uh, of of the random versus random, uh, but there's ways around that too.
0: How did we get on the subject of drinking? I don't know. <laughs> uh, because, because because it, it
3: was uh, because the topic was uh, mainly about uh, it wasn't necessarily about fighting, uh, but more so about a challenge to your character. So for example, passing a ball or having a drink, and that's how <laughs> that's how we ended up on that tangent.
0: It's a rhetorical yeah. question. Oh. <laughs> Damn it!
2: You didn't actually Damn have to it. tell me. <laughs> but, no, because it at that point it becomes the player versus the drink, and so it does make sense to consider it a form of combat in this regard. <laughs> I shall face up against you, drink. <laughs>
0: yeah. Anyway, now that these drunks are finished talking about drinking. <laughs> <laughs> wow.
3: <laughs> Judgmental much?
0: Okay.
1: I'll have you know. Says the Admiral. <laughs> yeah, says the Admiral. And then the, the uh, one who actually touche. can hold her alcohol pretty well. And then touche. the kid who doesn't drink.
0: <laughs> Let's talk about <laughs> some systems that build on the slash random system and make them more complex, but not too much more complex. And by I think you would know a thing or two about this
3: yeah so um in the f c that I am in, uh, we use a system that is uh, basically built on the on the typical random versus random system. Now, mind you, we didn't create the system ourselves, so I' want to make that abundantly clear. Lucifer Wargard of Gilgamesh is the one that originally made this sub. We simply added a few modifications to it, so basically, to avoid this whole uh, the, the, the problem of going uh, a random dice versus a random dice, uh, it there's too much RNG involved, and it's too much 50-50 for success. So the way how we decided to overcome that uh, using a previous system of Lucifer Warguard, I'll briefly explain about how his system works and what we did to amend it. So the way how his system works is that you only basically, essentially, roll for initiative at the start, just like normal, but then after that, you only roll once, only for yourself. And essentially, the way how it works is that with the random system, you have three numbers. You could roll, let's say, uh, I'll I'll give a brief example of a regular number that that you could see, let's say 555, that's your roll. The way how it works is that the first number is the accuracy modifier. Namely, if you have to check whether this number is above a certain threshold, and if it is, you are guaranteed to hit. So, for example, rolling over three hundred is a guaranteed hit. So, if you rolled a five hundred fifty-five, great, you did you did some damage. The second number in this case, in the five hundred fifty-five, is the damage that you have dealt to your target, and I need to explain one tiny little tidbit about this is that you use a HP system. You just simply assign health points to each individual who is participating in the battle and you basically check against uh, damage against damage and it really drastically reduces the RNG factor by a lot more. It's about a 70 percent higher rate of actually hitting a target. The last number is the critical hit modifier. So in other words, if I roll uh, 555, I just do, let's say, regular damage. But if my numbers were 500 and let's say 59, then the nine, which is the crit modifier, determines whether I have done a critical hit or not. And we can determine, as a GM, what that means as for a critical hit. Whether it's double damage, triple damage, it depends on the GM. The way how we have it is that it is simply is double damage. So that is uh, essentially the basics of Lucifer's system. Uh, we added a few things onto that. We've changed a little bit about the, you know, the, the critical uh, modifier. Uh, what do you do if you roll a ridiculously insane uh, high number? Let's say 999. Uh, do you just calculate it as normal? Is it the same as, let's say, a 599? Or... You know, so these are the kind of questions that you would have to come and ask, but then that's where we come in and we simply make changes to this existing system. And again, full credit to Lucifer for this. Again, we didn't make it the, the, the baseline for this, we did take it with his permission and we gave him full credit for it, but we made changes. So, for example, the way how we want to make sure that players are rewarded for really high numbers is by allowing them. To not only do extra damage, or essentially just to do a limit break. And everybody here knows what a limit break is, and I think everyone (laughs) would enjoy doing a good limit break on the enemy. But because it's so rare, right, to have a really high number. So it's a 1 in a 1,000 chance that you'll roll 999. So that's essentially the way how we look at things for changing the way how RNG affects uh, a battle of, let's say, a really powerful opponent against a weaker opponent. Uh, you can even introduce um, penalties uh, on top of this system, uh, such as one opponent having maybe lower HP, or maybe there are some different kinds of modifiers because of their class. It's very, very easy to expand this system. So, But I'll, 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 I can keep talking about this for the next 30 minutes, but I'm sure that people have questions or commentary, so I will pull the reins in on myself right now, and I'll let people talk as well.
0: I, how, how I wish we could let you talk for 30 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Don't tempt me, because I'll do it. I, I will do it. So, we actually did talk to Lucifer, and he couldn't be here tonight to be a guest. But he went into detail in a recording for us about his combat system, and there's even more subtlety to it. There were things like, instead of attacking you guard, there was things like wearing armor and that affecting your HP or your race having a certain advantage or disadvantage.
3: Really? Okay. Yeah. Okay, because uh, when, when we took the system at the very beginning, essentially he didn't have those things in, so he must have uh, elaborated on his own system, which fair play to him if he has. You know it just but that just goes to show. you know it just goes to show what I said earlier. The base system is uh, really, really easy to expand upon, so I'm not surprised that you, know, you could take this and adapt it and change it very easily. So, yeah,
1: I like that. Yeah, props to him. I like that sort of idea. So having those additions and all of those modifiers really adds strategy to how people can play. But if you add things onto to just the sort of number that you roll, like the limit break, for example, then that just adds another level of, of fun to it. You're trying to get those high numbers, and it is random at the end of the day, but it adds an aspect of fun to something that you might not necessarily see at an event where they use just pure random rolls.
3: Yeah, 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 for sure.
1: So why don't we do this firsthand to get a look at how it works in a combat event? So let's say that I have beaten out Remix for initiative, so I'm going to roll first. And so I roll my one number, and my number is a 725. How does that interpret with the system?
3: You want me to, to elaborate on sure, that? Sure, yeah. Were you? Yes, please. Sure. Okay, so um, let's say you, you roll a 725. Uh, We've determined that you're the first one to roll, Uh, you roll a 725, and again, I have to stress, it depends on your GM, alright? It depends on your GM what kind of modifications they can make to this system, because it's really easy to change. The way how we have it, personally, is that uh, a 725 is just like any other regular roll, where you uh, happen to have hit your target. Uh, So, Emi, basically, if you decided to roll a 725 and you're attacking uh, Sakura here, then you just did uh, (laughs) two health points of damage. Two health points of damage. So you started slow. You start with a small number, essentially. Um, There's no crit on it because, let's say, the crit numbers are 7, 8, and 9 on the third number. So if you roll 725, 5 is the number to check against for your crit. It's not a crit. So it's not... Four damage, it's two damage. Does that make sense? Yes,
1: so if I rolled a 728 then, then I've now done four yeah. damage.
3: Correct, yeah.
1: That's pretty cool, I like that. So it's only one roll, but every single digit means something yeah. different in this system. Yes.
3: And the reason as, as well why I said it avoids the 50-50 thing, I'm sure that you, you figured this out by now, you're only rolling against yourself. You know, the, the threshold is, and you can change this threshold as well, that's the beauty of it, The way how we have our threshold is, if you roll under 300, you miss. If you roll over 300, you hit. So essentially, you have a 70% chance, more or less, that you're going to hit. So it's a much higher chance that you actually can succeed in doing what you want to do.
1: That's really cool. I like that a lot. I like that you can set that threshold too, based on whatever the GM decides. So it could be 50-50, but the idea that people are hitting more often... I think is more realistic, especially with all the adventurers out there. Now, if it were non-adventurers fighting, then we might see something a little bit different. But, again, it's all up to the person running the event.
0: Faya, is there anything else you'd like to add to our listeners?
3: I suppose if you're you're sick of the typical RNG versus RNG, then uh, I highly recommend giving this system a shot. Uh, It's very, very easy to get access to. I'm sure that there's a a textual version you can get of this uh, somewhere. Uh, I see it more in the Aether servers than I have on the Crystal servers, but you know, I mean, these things can change very easily, and again when you take this the base of this system uh, you can easily just add many, many things onto it for example, one of the things that we did was you could uh, forfeit a certain amount of turns to do a charge attack, which therefore changes the modifier depending on how long you wait uh, for example, and we might be changing that system as well, uh, but it's just an example of how you can easily make things far more in depth and still really easy to understand. So if you're a role player out there and you want something that is more dynamic, it makes your your fights last longer, it makes your fights better uh, with a higher chance of success and better chances of actually doing damage and being more impactful in your role play and not stifling your creativity. I highly recommend giving this system a shot. Definitely over the typical RNG.
2: I have to say, from the explanation that you've given, it's something that I'd really like to take back to Light Data Center and see what people make of it there. Because I've not heard of a system like this being run over there before. But it does actually sound like it gives you a lot more scope without necessarily hampering creativity.
3: I mean, personally, I, I, I definitely have to agree with that. Because again, if you, you have to try and imagine if you assign everyone 100 HP. You know, and, and somebody does 2 two HP and then your opponent does maybe 5 HP or... You know, th- this continues over and over and over until somebody is knocked out. It makes it so much more adept and it's so much better for you to just... Rather than having having a noodle fight, which is I'm sure that everybody has heard of, where you just keep on missing and missing and missing. You know, the yes. odds of this happening is so much lower. So it's definitely... Uh, uh, something that is highly recommended. Definitely check this out, especially when it comes to uh, doing actual role-playing campaigns. Maybe not necessarily for a really massive uh, event, like for example, Grindstone, you know, where you have where you could have potentially anywhere up to 30 to 80 people attending, which is a bit messy, you know. If you have that many people attending, needing to understand the system, you know, then it can be a bit tricky. Then it might be easier to do uh, random versus random, but. I mean, who knows?
2: Your mentioning of a noodle fight um, (laughs) gives me flashbacks to a (laughs) particular event um, that I think we're just about to go
1: and cover, aren't we? Why don't we? Yeah, let's let's move up the complexity of the system a little bit
0: more and into our third roleplay system here. Now, this one's mostly going to be taken by Morgana. Mm -hmm.
3: That sounds perfect to me because I have no experience with this one. I have
1: no experience (laughs) with this one either. So I brought up the original guide and it's a 30 page guide on how the system works so that's a place to start of just how complex this starts getting
0: as far as we know it's just called the rp rolling system it was created by lucard de lionker of omega just to give credit
2: yeah i've only ever been on the player side of this system so i'm not entirely sure how well it goes in terms of uh gming it but I will say this much, it's a lot more complex than the systems that we've been discussing before because it does actually have a form of character sheet. Because of the characters that my friends and I play, we did find the character creation rather difficult if I'm honest, um, I'm not entirely sure whether or not that's the system or the GM that we were running with. Um, but. It does kind of add emphasis to the fact that it depends on the sort of characters that you're working with as to what kind of systems can tend to work best. But I do rem- the incident in question um, that I was on about was that, and actually, Remix was involved in this and was playing the Admiral for us in this particular system. And my group and friends and I um, were Warriors of Light and had been called to meet the Admiral. Quite a distance away from Limsa laminsa because they'd been having some issues with some um, some murders that have been going on, and um, suddenly the admiral's left hand uh, suddenly sprung that they wanted to test us because this was admittedly our um, our test run into using this system, and I I, I have rather painful memories of. Missing every single attack I tried to make Aww. and being taken from 80% HP to zero in less than a turn. So I didn't even have a chance to defend myself. And Damn. the one remaining HP that I had taken off of me was taken by the edge of an AoE that was effectively Ugh. targeting somebody else. So AOE, AoEs are a thing then? Yeah, in this particular case, they were. It was using a who like sort of like a conal AoE, I think, in this particular case. So it was kind of stated who the the attack was going to strike. Just to add some clarification to how much this hurt, Organa's supposed to be the Warrior of Light. <laughs> yeah. So so that kind of hurt a lot. Now I will admit that my particular incarnation of the Warrior of Light is a healer. So she didn't have a lot of hit points to start off with, but I feel as if the enemies that we were put up against in this particular instance were... They were balanced as if they were other player characters. Now, bear in mind, there were six of us and six of these other characters, and we spent most of the evening using the combat system. Now, don't get me wrong, a long drawn-out fight can be quite fun, but only if it keeps moving. And I felt like the system made it kind of too complex in a way i'm not necessarily bashing it because like i don't know sometimes people do prefer slightly different things but it is very much down to personal taste i'm honestly trying to stay neutral on this
1: i don't i don't mean to be sort of bashing the system oh, that's okay. well why don't we talk about how the system worked then so you create your character right and how did, how did character creation work in this There's a 10, no, 9 step system. I've just pulled up the document so I can see
2: it again. But you start off with 10 Strength, 10 Dexterity, 10 Vitality, 10 Intelligence, and 10 Mind. You then apply a race template. You then apply a role template. You can then allocate three more stats of your choice. You then add 10 points into a job skill, and then you can divide 30 points among other non-job skills which then affect... Um, your bonuses against um, like when you're rolling to perform a particular action because yes this system actually goes so far as to make checks for things like healing perception escaping like pretty much if you can think of it as being potentially a roll you will have to roll for it in this particular system and then you've got an evasion stat a resistance stat that is based upon your Um, attributes and your armor bonus yes you even have to pick an armor that your character will be wearing and then depending upon your role you will add bonuses to particular stats as well as working out like your attack attempts as well there's that to it and then you get two fate points as well which you can use to basically like resurrect your character and re-roll and what
0: have you so what you're saying is we got to do a lot of math. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all the
3: numbers in this,
2: yeah.
0: I'm looking yeah. at even
3: at all the steps involved, even in the, in the attacks and the output damage. There's a lot of maths in this.
2: Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. It in the right situation, I can definitely see a system like this working. Um. I mean, it's even gone so far as to create stats for the Carbuncles,
1: the Fairies. The eggies, even Demi Bahamut has its own stats. Well, you know, so that's that's very very complex in terms of like what people can do, and like the success of an attack depends on a lot of different things.
2: Yeah, I mean, they've even gone so far as to create a method of uh, drawing cards, so you don't even have to use the mechanics that are in the game to draw the card. You know, you there's like actually a random roll for what card you're gonna draw as an astrologian. As I said before, they're AoEs and like you even have basically auto-attacks as well like factored in.
1: That sounds like a real-life boss battle, like imagine that you're going into a raid battle and you see the AoEs or you don't see the AoEs in some cases, and you have auto-attacks going on and you have healing checks and you might have you know DPS checks or something like that. The key thing is though, and the reason that I got clipped by that AoE, is because
2: there isn't a rolled opportunity to dodge. It is based on a stat that has been predetermined. Oh. Yeah. So you're only making one roll against another person's evasion or resistance stat, depending upon whether or not using a physical or magical based attack. And then that determines whether or not you hit as opposed to rolling to... If I think I'm remembering that correctly. Because there is definitely a stat involved.
1: Well, I guess that in a way, it's good in that you're saving time relatively speaking about worrying about whether or not it'll hit. On the other hand, like you said, you just got hit by that AOE. You know, you'd better hope that your evasion skill was good.
3: I could see the system definitely working a lot more uh, with the aid of bots as well, you know, like discord mm. bots, or is that just me?
2: Um, I could see it potentially working quite well. um, but we were actually using it inside FF14, so literally the only thing we had to roll was slash random.
1: So how would a, a roll
2: work then? That's the thing, I'm not really entirely sure. We just kind of waited for our GM to explain it, um, <laughs> which, which obviously made it a bit more Dumb. difficult. But there is so there is so much here that unless you are intending on getting very, very involved in this particular system, it's it's quite daunting to be honest, Mm -hmm. and I do remember a couple of the players that I play with kind of being very uncertain because they much prefer the ability to sort of more creatively write instead of sit down and playing a pen and paper RPG. If they wanted to do that, they would probably be playing something like Dungeons and Dragons or any one of a number of other systems, considering I know that there are so many. (laughs) yeah, But you get the idea. It. It's in- an incredibly complex system. I have actually spoken with uh, a friend of mine and he was looking into making a system that had some very simple numbers to sort of work out whether or not you you hit or you missed. And it was a lot, lot simpler, though it still ha- it did still have a character sheet. The problem is, is that it's still kind of in the early stages of development, otherwise I'd go into it a bit more. But I honestly found, because I've only done one run with this particular, more simplified combat system, but it was a lot easier to to deal with just because you could take a look at the number that you got and see how things were laid out really quickly, whereas with this particular system I was having to wait on the GM to explain it to me because I took one look at the document and went, I've got absolutely no idea what I need to know. Whereas when I'm sat there, when I'm sat there with like second edition D and D, which I now play uh, every Saturday, I've got it committed to memory how to work out whether or not I succeed or fail at a roll on a D20, just because I've. Well, I suppose part of it is because I've now played this consistently for quite a long time that I have just like osmosed these sorts of details. And I didn't really play the system very much. I just couldn't get my head around how all of these things were calculated. Yeah, again, that's probably just me. I I don't want to put you guys off of using the system if it is something that you found and you found works well for your group of friends, because systems are very, very much based on what you guys feel comfortable with.
0: This is basically RP Combat Savage. <laughs> um, I, I'm, look- I'm looking. I'm uh-huh. looking through the document now, and it's like this. This this person has literally thought of everything. The document is 30 pages long. There's rules yeah. for dueling. There's potions. There's ways of changing your character stats, like upgrading them. There's mounts and minions. <laughs> There's every job in Final Fantasy 14. There's potions. <laughs> There's blue magic. Blue magic. Yes. <laughs> of all the things. That-
3: There was a lot of time put into this document.
2: I was going to say, there was a heck of a lot of time put into this document, but it didn't have the same variance as what I've used sometimes when role-playing and being able to use the skills that we've already got in fourteen as a basis. And it was very difficult to try and translate the skills that we do have in-game into this as well. And to make it feel like it's something that fits fluidly together because although that there's a lo- been a lot of work put into this system I'm not denying that for a second there wasn't necessarily all of the all of the tiny little things that make a class a class that we know from playing the actual Final Fantasy 14 if that makes sense
0: for sure for sure this is the top tier of complexity we started at the simplest and went all the way to the top to something that is maybe like a and d equivalent or higher or even more complex.
1: Why don't we go outside the box, though? Why don't we talk about D&D?
0: Yeah, we want to make a special mention for a system that is not intended to be played in fourteen, but is an adaptation of D&D of Final Fantasy fourteen. Yeah. So honorable mention.
1: It's... It's kind of cool because you don't necessarily need to be playing Final Fantasy XIV then in order to have elements of FF14. In other words, the world of Eorzea can go outside of the world of Eorzea. So this system was created by Sorenson Asgard of Gilgamesh, who's a good friend of mine actually. Um, And he just created this entire overlay to Dungeons and Dragons. I think it's the fifth edition from what I remember. And like I said before, you don't really need to have Final Fantasy XIV knowledge because it's this handbook that you can use to put this Final Fantasy XIV overlay onto your game of Dungeons & Dragons. So for example, the handbook includes things like all of the races, the cultural overviews of things like the Aura, the Lalafell, discusses the clans, the alignments of characters. He kind of takes the way that the characters have been described in the lore and then says, okay, if I am a Lalafell, what kind of alignment would I be more likely to have? And so it's, it's just this really cool way to be able to play Final Fantasy 14 without being in Final Fantasy 14.
3: It definitely covers all of the, uh, the essential basics that you need to know. Uh, I definitely know that some of my D&D D friends who have never touched the game will be able to pick this up within no time at all. Uh, I did. I do have a bit of experience with this system as well. Uh, only one sh- very, very, very short and brief campaign, but it was uh, relatively in depth of what we did do. And uh, it, it, I would, I would, uh, I would, you know, guesstimate this to be about the same complexity as Pathfinder. To be honest, uh, which is also a relatively entry-level D and D variant. That's what I think personally. I don't know if anybody agrees or disagrees with me.
1: Now I'm not familiar with Pathfinder all that much so I I cannot speak for for that.
3: That's that's you're, okay.
0: You're the sage here.
1: the sage <laughs> a wise one. The sage. Okay. <laughs>
3: well, uh it, it this I well I I won't talk for too much because I don't want to overtake uh, anybody who wants to add anything to it. Uh from what I uh, have experienced with this, this was done on roll 20 and I got to say When we did this on Roll20, it was smooth sailing, you know? uh, I don't know if anybody has any experience with Roll20 here, but you have all of your D&D functionality on there. You have a compendium, you have character sheets, character stats, all that kinds of good stuff. And you only fill in what you need to fill in. You don't have to fill in every single little tiny tidbit detail of the templates that they provide you. And you can still put in uh, maps and... uh, character icons, HP, all these kinds of good stuff, and you can just use the, the uh, actual classes that is built into this document uh, that uh, Sorensen made, and you basically roll uh, different types of dice depending on your class, and then you move, let's say, different squares on the, on the map, or however your GM wants to do it. I personally found it really easy to pick up. I I thought it was really easy, just like Pathfinder. Uh, Pathfinder is just as easy. It's pretty much entry-level D and D. It's not as complicated as Mage the Ascension, but I won't, I won't necessarily go into Mage the Ascension because it's not completely relevant to this. But for those people who want to have a touch of D and D while still having a bit of familiarity uh, to what's you know kind of lore that they're familiar with. I would definitely recommend taking a look at this document, uh, the Ff14 with the D&D companion guide, uh, the Stormblood one. It's definitely really, really good. There's a lot of information. The document is clean. There's it's easy to read. Uh, it pretty much answers every single tiny question that you want about you know racial stats. You know, it's not even that much emphasis about class stats. What kind of offensive, defensive abilities, support abilities, all these kinds of good stuff. It's right in there, and it's Okay, it helps if you have uh, previous D and D knowledge. I will say that. Uh, that's probably why I found it so easy to pick up because I came from a more difficult system. But in my opinion, I thought it was really easy. You know, I I took a good look at everything, and I would recommend this for pretty much any beginner who wants to dip their toe into into D and D. It's really it, I find it perfect.
1: Yeah, and I think it's cool for the person who's already familiar with FF14 but doesn't know about D and D. They have something to latch on to. They have some of the jobs that exist in FF14. Actually, I think all of them, including Blue Mage, which is a bit surprising, but like they have ways that Blue Mage can take on spells and they can be even just as powerful as any other class, which you can't do in FF14. Blue Mage is stuck at 50, and in character that might be a little bit different too if you're role playing as a Blue Mage, which I have yet to find any. But that aside, um, it's, it's a good, familiar place to start for somebody who's playing FF Fourteen, And they updated it with the release of Stormblood. I'm hoping that there's a Shadowbringers update, but I mean, they have, they have even Viera in there. And because you aren't limited to the in-game resources, you can have a male Viera. And maybe in the future there will be something about Hrothgar, because that wasn't in there. That wasn't in the guide as it stands to this day, but who knows?
3: I mean, I, I would think that the creator would be more than happy to work on uh, a new edition to cover everything, including the Hrothgar. Uh Maybe he will even give the option of having a female Rothgar and not to have a gender lock. Uh, just like what you said, there's uh, female Viera and there's male Viera, and you can pick them uh, if you want to. So I would not be surprised in the slightest if uh, if there was an update to this document done by the author uh, to cover Shadowbringer content and, and lore and all of that. I wouldn't be surprised at all, and I'd be very happy for that because then it would uh, even bring more content and uh, mixing over D and D and Final Fantasy fourteen for the for the fans who will actually would like to have a bit of both.
2: There is a massive advantage in terms of like creating the male Viera and, by extension, the the female Hrothka, um because there isn't the modeling needed in this particular system because all of the sort of the visuals, if you will, are entirely inside your head. To one degree or another. Like you can see it in your mind's eye, and that is what matters with a DD styled system like this.
1: Yeah, with an in-game avatar. So for example, if you decide I'm going to take my Viera and male Viera doesn't exist right now. But say you wanted to have one Does if you add bunny ears to an Elizabeth. Yeah, like they can they can put bunny ears <laughs> on an elezin, they can take a short haired female Viera and then say I'm male, but Either way, you have this potential to be mistaken as, oh, you're a male Ellison with bunny ears. Or, oh, you're <laughs> just another female. So like it, yeah. it makes it easier because when you're in this campaign, you're just that. You are a male Viera. They don't even have to keep up with the in-game resources and the dev availability. It gives that much more freedom to it.
3: I, I agree with that. It's, it, it certainly makes uh, for a little bit more creativity and uh I suppose there's a, a very tiny shout out for uh, for the uh, for the fans out there who really would have wished for milviera to be coming in the game uh, but didn't but uh, you can certainly still roleplay it uh, and this is certainly one of those systems where you are free to roleplay it because there is lore out there regarding the uh, the milviera and I'm sure that eventually as uh, Shadowbringers keeps uh, pumping up patches that you're gonna find out more lore about the Rothgar and the female rothgar too. So I wouldn't be surprised to see that. I wouldn't be surprised to see that in this document.
1: And, you know, who knows? Maybe one day we will end up having both genders for each of oh, them. Oh, please. One <laughs> that day. would be great. You, know, you never know. I really hope so. One day, one day. So I think that's a good place to wrap up this episode. We've talked about a whole bunch of different styles of roleplay combat, roleplay mechanisms in situations where rolling something or other is involved. And there are pros and cons to each of them some might require a bit more experience a bit more time getting to know them others are very simple it's really up to the person who is running the event or running a campaign in some cases to figure out which one is best for them so hopefully this helped you out and we'll be posting links to the more complex roleplay systems as well so you can get just a first-hand look at exactly how these things work because, especially for the third system we were talking about, that role play rolling system, there's a whole lot to look into on that, too. I think the key thing that I'd add to that would be to
2: discuss with the players that you're going to be working with as to what they feel most comfortable with when you're trying to work out a system. Because, to be honest, if you've got players that are not feeling comfortable with the system that you're using, they're not going to enjoy playing and it Speaking from experience, it will start to feel like a chore. And nobody wants that. So talk to your players. Be open to listening to what it is that they want from the system just as much as what you want to get from the system as well. And then hopefully you can come to a compromise and everyone will be happy.
3: I think as well it's very important because I completely agree with that. I think it's important to also emphasize you can use multiple systems for multiple different types of events. Within the same pre company or within the same role play group, you, there's nothing stopping you from using multiple systems. So it's definitely good to bring it forward and, and put the question on the table of what you're comfortable with, depending on what the event technically kind of dictates. So I definitely have to completely agree with you on that.
0: Yeah. I think role play combat is a really interesting topic because you can not only beat on the enemies in the field you can beat on your friends at fight night <laughs>
2: <laughs> it definitely adds a whole new dynamic and it mixes it up because it can be very easy to slip into the trap of always being on the winning side i suppose um like cuz everyone naturally wants to win and it can become very very difficult to figure out a way to make the fight work in a believable fashion for both sides of, of the combat, if you will, and therefore that's where the sort of the combat system comes in and it does add that sort of element of you have something to respond to that isn't necessarily just pre-choreographing everything.
0: Couldn't have said it better myself. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for our two guests for all your great insight explanations into these different systems. You've been awesome. You've just carried us through this episode.
3: <laughs> You're very welcome.
0: It was a pleasure to be
1: here.
3: Absolutely. And an uh, absolute pleasure to, uh, you know, give information. And
1: also, I'll, I'll say thank you to everybody who helped out with this episode. It wasn't just Morgana and Baya here who helped out. We had, I believe, what is it, six other people chipping in for this episode? Yep. Lucifer Warguard, Iris White Whitewillow, on Discord a wraith on discord as well just thank you to everybody who helped out with this pretty darn complicated roleplay combat episode
0: indeed so hey hey isn't it time for us to transition yeah to story time i guess
1: it's about that time. Yay, story time let's do it so we have four people so i'm gonna say let's try and keep all of our stories pretty quick but Every episode, because we love playing FF14 so very much, we give an account of something that has happened between the last episode and now. Now, for our guests, you can make it a little bit more than, you know, between that time period. Um, But it can be in-game, out-of-game, in-character, out-of-character, just as long as it has something to do with FF14. So, we have a lot of people here.
0: I think the host should go first. Yeah,
1: let's, let's do that. I'll start out this episode here. So, as you guys know, probably by the time that this episode comes out, Shadowbringers will already be out. But, for the time being, I've been getting ready for Shadowbringers to drop. And so, there's been a lot of stuff that has been involved with that, getting crafter gear, because my crafters are not very good, getting materia on hand, doing all those daily roulettes, trying to get tomes, but also... In character, there's also been some wrapping up of plot lines that I've been meaning to do. And so recently, I just did that. It was something that I had kind of been planning out for a while. You've probably heard in a past episode what I was looking to do uh, with Scoot, if I remember correctly. And if I haven't, then maybe you'll just have to wait and see what happens. Um, But Scoot recently decided that he was not going to fight on the first. And so writing that post was something that kind of added some closure to me for Stormblood. And I was trying to leave people on a cliffhanger for people who are watching Scoot's little adventures. And so, you know, it's it's like, man, I'm seeing everybody kind of get worried and sad and like it's and it's a real problem I think that can happen for some of the Warriors of Light where they just don't want to fight anymore. With all of the journeys that the characters are going through in such a short period of time especially if we consider maybe we're in a time bubble it's it's a lot to go through and there's also the idea of like just kind of staying true to yourself was part of why scoot decided that he didn't want to be a paladin for a while so for now i mean he's he's just scoot patoot he's just a kid that's how he's gotten ready for taking on whatever the first has to offer is really by saying, I'm putting everything down, and I'll go, but I'm not going to fight. It's it's just been fun kind of seeing Scoot grow from how he was at the beginning of the expansion to how he is now, and looking forward to seeing how he develops over the course of 5.0 now. Isn't that weird? Yeah. That's so weird to think about.
0: Before I tell my story, I'll add a little bit of an addition to that. So I mainly roleplay a character called Natsuki who's main profession in life is as a crafter. And I used to have two timelines in my head. One in which he was the warrior of light and one in which he wasn't. I've role played with the non-combatant, non-warrior of light version for so long now that I have trouble even thinking of him as the warrior of light anymore. So I'm just like, I'm just going to scrap the timeline, you know, because there's all these controversies of like, is your RP character the warrior of light? Are they a warrior of light?
1: You know, Are they even allowed to be considered a warrior of light? And I mean, it's, it's, it's debated. I kind of adapt with the idea of like, maybe in some cases he is, in some cases he isn't multiple timelines, like Remix said.
0: Yeah, but my strategy was just to say, fuck it.
1: (laughs) So we're both putting down some things then as part of this prep.
0: (laughs) Yes. Actually, really lately, most of what I log in for is RP. (laughs) (laughs) While things are slow. Of course, of course, I pre-ordered Shadowbringers. And of course, I'm going to play Early Access on the 28th. There's just one little problem. Mm-hmm. I have to pack an entire vendor booth worth of merchandise in a car, drive it to New Jersey, and sell it at Comic-Con. That's what's going to happen to me on June 28th. I'm not going to get to play. Aww.
3: Oh, that sucks. Ouch.
0: And then oh. the next day, I will be at the convention, so I will also not get to play. Oh. Well, I'll let you know
1: how it is and try not to spoil you if you don't There's want no to, spoiler. but you know me, I like my spoilers.
0: No, the funniest thing is that kubo is a Final Fantasy convention, and it's the only one. So Final Fantasy is preventing me from playing Final Fantasy.
2: <laughs> Forgive me, it seems like a slight oversight
1: to be having it on this particular weekend. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Just slightly, but I mean, if it makes you feel any better... Final Fantasy, preventing Final Fantasy seems about the best reason that I can think of as to why you are not playing Final Fantasy on that day.
2: Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. I was say, yeah, I have work, fun. At least it's only short shifts, though, so can't complain yeah, too much. Yeah, I'll
1: be working that day, too, but it'll
0: be a shorter day, I think.
3: I made sure that my day is off on that on the day.
0: <laughs> so which one of you wants to tell your story first?
3: Ladies first, so...
2: Thank you. I suppose most recently, we had, um, at Silver Valkyrie, we had the Festival of Light on Friday. Now Originally, this event had been run as a rising event, which was absolutely fantastic fun, but uh, this year, unfortunately, we didn't have the uh, mastermind behind the initial idea. But we managed, and we were doing a comparatively pared down version in comparison to what we'd had before because we just didn't have the time in order to make sure that we prepared like a skit as well as having all of our costumes and all of the um the layout set out and everything but it it went down really well and um remix was awesome enough enough to come along and despite all the technical difficulties <laughs> we were able to stream Uh, most of the event, which was really, really good fun. It was nice to sort of give an inside view to the sort of things that go on behind the scenes when Silver Valkyrie is running an event, because we're always in our own little cool sort of hidden away and trying to make sure that we keep on top of everything and make sure that we keep keep the show running nice and smoothly. And I think it reflects well because I've only had positive feedback from those that were involved, which I'm really, really happy about we do have a couple more events coming up soon if i'm allowed to do a little bit of a plug on that one (laughs) thanks um so although we haven't actually got official dates set we've got two events planned for august at the moment i'm expecting one of them to be early august and the other to be on the 30th friday the 30th of august because that will be our Fourth annual Rising event. The Rising was the very first event that I ran within the game. And so it kind of really holds a special place in my heart. So I'm aiming to be bigger and better than last year.
0: I wonder what we'll come up with, but only time will tell. And you can find that on the Lich server on the Light Data Center. Is it bias turn?
3: I do have a story. I have more than one story, but I have to pick one because it's nearly coming to a close. But um, I suppose... Uh, I'll do an out-of-character story, mainly about uh, myself and my experience in role-playing in Final Fantasy and the many advantages and disadvantages that I've seen. Now, I have experience in role-playing in the Crystal, uh, which is, well, it's now known as Crystal, where Balming is and Matthias and all of that. Uh, that's where they are right now. And I've experienced role-playing on those servers. I've experienced role-playing on the Aether servers, namely on Gilgamesh. And I've seen different Types of roleplay. I'm not necessarily talking about teams, I'm talking about the way how roleplay is just approached. Of course, you're going to, if you're looking for the largest amount of roleplay and you want to stumble over people, uh, roleplaying absolutely everywhere, the one server that you have to think about is obviously the bombing server uh, with Mateus probably as a close second but you also have more uh, a resurgence of roleplay now in the, uh, in the Aether server since there is, uh, I, I, I suppose, the RPCs are beginning to come together. Uh, one of my personal experiences, though, that I have to mention, which is, again, it's majorly in favor uh, of Balming, is that public roleplay is so much more common. But I have to say one thing that is also a major advantage for Gilgamesh is that dedicated roleplay. And what I mean with dedicated roleplay is more one-on-one, two-on-one, maybe, maybe it's a group of people, a small group of people, to do a campaign with for a long period of time, that's a lot more common on the Aether, uh, Aether servers. Uh, so I definitely have to give a brief mention about that, and I've done many, many, many different uh, storylines with many crucial characters, including, you know, uh, mystery themes, uh, fighting themes, uh, the one of the ones that I'm currently doing on my character, but yeah, I'm a bah hunter is uh, all about that tribal stuff, which is, uh, you know, the Azim step, uh, all about the Jela, all about their different traditions and all these kinds of different stuff. And we're actually concluding uh, one of those roleplay arcs actually today, as it happens. So, uh, yeah, that's uh, essentially, uh, you know, my little short story, I suppose, that I'll throw in here.
0: Yeah, I personally am very happy as an Aether Data Center roleplayer. I kind of like that our RPC is not humongous, I feel like I have a chance in hell of kind of knowing everybody. Uh,
3: I do have to say that is one thing about Crystal. You could argue that it's better or for worse. Uh, and it's it. I think it's probably both. I mean, if you really want to find many, 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 many different people to roleplay with on a day-to-day basis, it's a massive, massive advantage. But if you really want to know people a bit more closely, you want to know them... Uh, Better as friends or make new friends and all that kinds of stuff. I'm not saying it's impossible on Aether and embalming, by the way. It's just that there's so much choice out there. You're not really sure where to put your time.
2: I was going to say, light as far as I know, it seems to have a lot more sort of smaller pockets. Silver Valkyrie, although it's reasonable, is still very, very small fry in comparison to even the RPC over on uh Aether and definitely in comparison to Crystal. But
1: we have fun and that's the main thing I think. And that's the main thing with any sort of data center. You know, regardless of where you are, regardless of what the culture is, just find that place where you're happiest. It can be big, it can be small, it can be in between. Just, you know, find that place. It's been great having you guys on. I, I love having people to talk to and you know, this wasn't so much an interview I think as more of a free for Other thing. than me.
0: Well, other <laughs> than you, but like you're always here.
1: Like it's it's always the two of us. I'm talking like outside of the two of us. <laughs> Anyways, yes, yeah, so thank you again. And uh where can we find both of you?
3: Like like I said ladies first, so go ahead.
2: <laughs> um the best place to find stuff out about me is probably on Tumblr. If you go to silvervalkyreevents.tumblr.com, that will probably be the best place to find out about the events that I run as part of my organization. Um, there is also the Discord link on there as well, should you wish to get involved. Um, we are quite happy to accept anybody from around the Light Data Center and even beyond. In fact, it's just a bit difficult for us to necessarily play in-game with you, unfortunately.
3: Uh, as for myself, the best place to find me, that's actually a little bit tricky, but uh, one of the best places to find me, uh, I suppose, is on Discord. I could put uh, my username in here, I suppose. I'm not sure if that's a good idea or it's not. Up to you. I don't know. <laughs> but uh, uh, definitely, you can definitely find me also in the game. Uh, I'll be playing on uh, Shadowbringers release. Uh, you know, I'll be testing all the different classes that I really want to play, like Warrior, Machinist, you name it. Uh, so I'll definitely be very active in the game. Uh, I'm also recently going to be starting streaming uh, for different types of video games that I play, not just Final Fantasy 14. But you can definitely find me on, on, uh, on Twitch. Big bad buyer, basically, because the regular buyer was not available, so I had to add a little bit extra. But uh, <laughs> no, that's that's a true story. It took me ages to get that username. <laughs> but uh, no, that that um, so you can definitely find me on on Twitch if you want to you know take a look at the stream. Uh, completely free, no problem. Uh, Otherwise, you can always hit me up in Discord, or you can definitely uh, just see me in the game, talk to me in the game. Feel free to approach me at any time if you have any questions, or if you want inspiration for roleplay, hit me up. I'll be more than happy to help.
1: Wonderful. And as for ourselves, of course, you can find MuseCast 14 episodes on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and Google Play. You can also find us on all sorts of social media. Our website of course is hosted through Tumblr, it is MuseCastXIV.com. You can also find us on Facebook at MuseCastXIV or on Twitter at MuseCastXIV. We are very, very creative with our naming conventions for those. We also have a Discord where you can join in the conversation on all sorts of things, roleplay help, lore help, writing help, just talking about FF14 or even non-FF14 things. Basically, it's just a fun and happening place. To get there, you can go to our website, and we have a link to the Discord from there. And occasionally, we do stream on Twitch. Uh, we have storytime streams going on on Sundays. Say that three times fast. You can f- <laughs> you can find our Twitch at twitch.tv musecastxiv. And if you like what you heard and you would like to support us in some way, there are a number of ways that you can do that. You can of course find us on patreon where for a monthly donation you can get access to things like bonus episodes things that we wanted to talk about in an episode but just didn't have the time to put into an episode itself and you can also get access to episodes 24 hours before they come out which is always really cool another way that you can donate is through paypal which is a one-time donation And finally, you can contribute to our Twitch streaming efforts a little bit different from the podcast efforts. Anything we get from Twitch, things like subs, bits and the like, they go back toward Twitch and not the podcast itself. No matter what way you want to support MuseCast 14, we are very grateful nonetheless.
0: I can confirm we are very grateful. Mm
1: -hmm. And with that, this episode of MuseCast 14 was brought to you by all our Patreon donors and was sponsored with love from our MuseCast sponsor... Hershey. You can find her on social media, including her Twitter at Hershnefersh. That's at H-E-R-S-H-N-I-F-E-R-S-H. Or you can check out her FF14 and variety stream at twitch.tv slash Hershnafersh. That's the same thing there. H-E-R-S-H-N-I-F-E-R-S-H. Thank you, Hershey. Shout out. Shout out. And uh, before we wrap up, of course, what episode is Next.
0: Where do we go from here? Well, we've had the role visit system for some time now. This system that has essentially merged every server on a data center into one big happy family and in all cases one big happy roleplay community. I honestly think it's the biggest thing to happen in Roleplay since the RP status.
1: And I think we've had enough time for us to kind of sit on it and analyze it. And with Shadowbringers coming out, I think we'll have a chance to analyze just how well the devs plans this data center shuffle, this world visit system, has worked out. So why not do that next? So next episode, we'll be talking about that. But not only that, we'll be talking about a number of other ways that people can connect to one another in different worlds. Things like roleplay FCs and roleplay link shells, even cross-world link shells. So we'll be talking about a whole bunch of different ways that people can connect in FF14, from the server to the data center.
0: Indeed, please look forward to it. That concludes our episode of MuseCast 14. See you later, adventurers, and happy adventuring.
1: Yep, see you next time. Thanks for listening to MuseCast 14. Tune in next time when we'll be discussing World Visit from server to data center. Happy adventuring, and may you ever walk in the light of the crystal.